We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Kumski coming to you from Northfield, Minnesota, the land of 10,000 goose poops. <laughs> you know, they don't publicize that much, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But yes, we have plenty of Canadian geese and also the things then that come with Canadian geese. Although, Matt, you know, it is interesting. I got to thinking, you know, thank heavens that Canadian geese don't poop the way other birds do. <laughs> that's true <laughs> you know it's an annoyance when we go bike riding and of course they don't believe in, in going to the bathroom in the grass they consider the sidewalk their personal toilets and that is kind of disturbing <laughs> but i thought man if they were flying over my head yeah that's so. right that's good yeah you don't hear that you know their uh, department of tourism in minnesota really does not <laughs> no. publicize that much at all <laughs> no <laughs> so it's not all it's not all great up here there are some disadvantages but the weather is super nice. <laughs> that's probably why the geese are all here too. Come to that's exactly too hot that's why they're up you. <laughs> so, so you left us hanging last week, Matt. We were doing the story of David and Goliath, and you told us that it's not what we think it is. That's what you told us. Something. What was it that exactly you said last week? So, yeah, I think a lot of times we hear that term, a David and Goliath story, yeah. and we think of, well, that's that means that the little guy beats the big guy, the weak beats the strong, right? And yeah, that's kind of how we use it in our culture. That term's just been kind of thrown around. But the ironic thing is this original account of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the Old Testament, it isn't a David and Goliath story <laughs> in that sense. It's much, much more. So we're looking at how the story of David and Goliath is about more, a whole lot more than just the little guy beating the big guy, the weak beating the strong. There's something more to this story. And I think that, uh, it gives the story a much greater meaning for David and Goliath, but also for us today, too, in our lives. And so we're unpacking what that greater meaning is as we read through the text. We got a little hint last week, right? As David comes to the battlefield and he hears Goliath mocking, he talks to his older brothers who are old enough to serve in the military. And young David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so we get a hint already that this is what the story is about. It's about the armies of the living God. It's about the living God. It's about the Lord. And this is really the first time that God even comes up in this account. It's from the mouth of young David, too young to serve in the military. And he says, wait a second here. He's messing with the Lord. And I think that starts to, to indicate what the deeper meaning of this story is all about. It has something to do with the Lord in this account. It's not just about David and Goliath. There's much more to it. So, so if I could kind of summarize the things that I caught as we yeah. were reading through this. Please. Is number one, we've got this guy, Goliath, the champion of Gath. And if you know anything about Gath, that says something. Because <laughs> they got a lot of big dudes in Gath. 
you know. So he's the yes. champion. And as you pointed out, just this enormous guy, strong guy, the weight of his armor and his, the weight, shoot, the weight of his spear would be more than I could even pick up. And then the second thing that struck me was the fear that he had struck into all of the Israelites, including their divinely chosen leader, Saul, who seemed to be trying to do everything he could to make sure someone else thought Goliath and not him as the king. Although, you know, that's how it's supposed to be. Kings, when they ride out to war, they're supposed to be leading their warriors, you know. And David will certainly do that when he gets to be king. And future kings will do that. But Saul, obviously reluctant. And then, as you just said, yeah, David's the only guy. He's the first guy that actually says, well, maybe the God has something to say about this story. Exactly. Um, but then it just struck me, that's probably the same way with us. We encounter Goliath in our lives all the time. And it's funny, we don't think about God until later on. You know, we just think about all the reasons we're frightened. So, yeah, I can identify with the story, but where do you want to go from here now, Matt? Yeah, well, let's uh, let's press on. Do you want to keep reading, John, with uh, verse 28, 28 to 30? Okay. So this is the reaction of his brother. So David's already objected and said, hey, what's the deal here? How can this Philistine, this godless guy, be defying the armies of the living God? And here is the response of his older brothers who are fighting in the army of Israel. <laughs> which, which, by the way, th this is understandable because you're not out here fighting, David. You're back tending a sheep. <laughs> what right do you have to open your mouth here? And I, I, yes, ahead. yes. And I, I think there's even maybe a deeper resentment too, even beyond that. So, Ooh, okay. All right. So let's read, yeah, verses 20 through 30. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And you know what? That's an interesting because I, I didn't think about this part of the story. That usually doesn't come up in Sunday school, that the brothers were fighting. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. His anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Oh, that's neat, Matt. I, I, why do we skip over that part of the story? Yeah, I think a couple of things, you know, his brother's accusing him of just coming down to watch the battle. You know, and people would do that. We just, we went to, on vacation, the spring break to Charleston, South Carolina, and we visited Fort Sumter and there, what they call the battery on the mainland, the, the fort's on an island. And then on the mainland there, during the opening of the, the Civil War, people would have parties and picnics and just watch the battle. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, literally, they would just, it was like entertainment. You know, people are getting killed. Anyway, that's sort of what David's brother accuses him of. You know, are you coming down just to watch the battle? But I think there's even a deeper resentment here, perhaps, John. Okay. So what, what happens, you know, the chapter before this, if we, you know, First Samuel chapter 16, we hear that account of David being anointed as king, oh. right? And remember, that's kind of done, not publicly, yeah. not all of Israel is not aware of this, but David's family sure is. Remember the prophet Samuel comes and all you know, the brothers pass by him and, you know, it's the oldest brother. No, that's not him. And, you know, no, the second oldest, that's not him either. And then finally they get to the youngest one out in the field, insignificant David, and he's the one anointed king. So I'm pretty sure the older brothers are aware of this. And so I think that's part of this too. They know David, this, their youngest brother for crying out loud, this teenager is anointed king. And now he's showing up and telling us how to fight this war. 
how to fight this battle. So I think there's even a deeper resentment there than maybe what we see on the surface in those few verses. You know, that's understandable because the prophet comes and he's going to anoint the next king. And I would think if I'm the eldest brother, oh, I'm here, sir. You know, pour the oil on my head. I'm ready to serve, you know, and then to be passed over for your youngest brother. Yeah. No, I think yeah. there would be resentment there. And then, you know, this is not the first time this has happened in the Old Testament. You know, if we no. go back to the book of Genesis, right? Yep. The yep. youngest brother by the name of Joseph <laughs> is shown favor by his father. Remember the coat of many colors. And how do those brothers react? Well, pretty much the same way David's older brothers react with resentment, right? And even hatred toward their brother. And so we see, you know, really history repeating itself. So I think there's a parallel here between David and Joseph and their brothers. You know, both David and Joseph seem to be pretty, you know, pretty well without fault, you know, yeah. at this point in their young lives. But boy, their brothers certainly resent them and who they are and, and the way in which God showed them favor. Well, and you know, the thing is, if you're going to draw those parallels, two things that would occur to me is, first of all, that this whole theme again, that God doesn't pick out the people you think he would pick out, oh. which is, of course, that's the important thing, because God comes not to save the righteous, but the sinner. That's what Jesus says, because you wouldn't expect that. And, you know, the other thing I think that is seen here, I can't remember. So whatever. <laughs> Go on with this for me. It'll come to me. I'm kidding. It'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's keep going. So, uh, so what, what's David's answer to Big Brother? Well, we see that in verses 31 through 37. All right, now I got to get back. It made me go back and look to chapter 16. So we went 31 to 37. Is that what we're looking for? Yes. Yeah. All right. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and where there came a lion or a bear or took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he arose against me. I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. There it is again, Matt, the yeah. armies of the yeah. living God. Exactly. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. <laughs> yeah. Better you than me. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, so... So, yeah, so David talks to Saul, and I think it's kind of interesting. David is the one who begins the conversation in verse 33. You know, yeah. here's this conversation with the king, and the newly anointed, Lord's anointed, the new king, is the one who starts the conversation. I think that's just kind of interesting. And then Saul calls David a youth, and that Hebrew word there is exactly that. It means you know, even boy, you know, teenager oh, okay. or boy. So again, emphasizing David's young age here, it's almost like the text wants us to get, you know, wants us to see David as a boy, a youth, a teenager, and to have that in our minds. And Saul says, oh, the Philistine, Goliath, he's been fighting since he's been your age. He's a hardened warrior. And then David points to the past victories that he's had over the lion and the bear as a shepherd. But again, it's not about just the little guy beating the big guy, not just young David defeating lions and wild animals. David points to the Lord, right? 
you know, the Lord, isn't that beautiful? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. So this is the first time that that word, the Lord's been used in this text, Yahweh, you know, the personal name for God. David recognizes that this is Israel's God, the Lord God, the one true God has delivered him from the lion and the bear, and he will deliver me from this Philistine. And just the confidence, it's not like, well, he'll probably deliver me, you know, from this Philistine, or if I outmaneuver him, you know, no, it's the Lord will do it. This confidence that David has in the Lord. And, you know, so there's a couple of things that, that cross my mind. One, one yeah. we may be wondering, well, why is there some tension here between the one who is the anointed king yeah. and the one who will be the king? But again, this whole youth thing probably answers that because he is, he's just a young kid, you know, and David is the mature man. And so whatever there might be in there and the fact that he's anointed, well, that's something for the distant future. You know, when David, just as it would be normally, the, the kingship would handle from the father to the son. So I don't think even if anyone would be aware of this, they would think, well, this is not a matter at this point. You know, this is a future thing. So that's probably not an issue. Then I really appreciate what you said too, Matt, how the Lord progressively becomes more revealed in the story. At first, he's not involved at all. It's just the Israelites versus the champion of Gath. And then it is the Israelites are the living God versus the champion of Gath. But now it's that very particular God, the Yahweh God. Yeah. The God that was unique only yes. to the Israelites. No one else worshipped Yahweh. I mean, others would probably claim they had a living God too. But yes. now this is particularly this God who created the world that is involved. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. The focus has narrowed. It's, you know, David had been speaking in terms of the living God. So that word, Hebrew word, Elohim, okay. Yeah. Uh, but that could be yeah. used to describe other gods, as you pointed out. Sure. But in the fact, Lord, it does mean no. God. Elohim just means gods. Yep. Exactly. It's God, exactly. and it's actually in the plural. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to use that word Lord, you know, all capital letters in our Bible, that means that yeah. word Yahweh, that Hebrew word. This is, no, this, that's name's only used for the one true God. It's God's personal name. And that's what David uses now. Yeah. All right. So verses 38 through 40. This is, okay, what happens next? What Saul's next move here in this interchange with David. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he has not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So here's Goliath, and he's wearing all this 100-pound stuff and carrying the 100-pound. Yeah, yeah. And David, but this is too much encumbrance for me. <laughs> all, yeah. all this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, so, you know, why, and we're kind of, you know, guessing here, but I, you know, I think we probably could have a couple pretty good assumptions. You know, why would Saul want David to wear his personal armor like that? Any ideas? Wow. I, well, I guess maybe so he could kind of say it was my armor that gave him the victory or something. Is he is it kind of a way of him being involved at a distance? I don't know. Yeah, what I think you're having. right. I think yeah. you're right, John. I think it's this idea that, you know, if David does win this battle, right, Saul can get a little bit of the credit. Oh, well, after all, he was wearing my armor. He was carrying my was sword. I equipped armor. him for this. Yeah. And Saul gets some of the credit, some of the glory if this kid comes out on top. So I, I don't think it's, you know, maybe I'm being cynical, but I don't really think it's out of that. Con I think it's a concern for David. I think it's more out of 
he wants to be, get a little bit of the credit if a victory does indeed take place. So yeah, I think it's, I think his motivations are selfish here, John. I'm with you that he gets a little bit of the credit if this, if David comes out on top. And again, I think it shows that there's really no competition between these two people at this point. Saul is certainly not frightened to this little boy ever challenging mm -hmm. him mm -hmm. to the throne. Otherwise, he wouldn't have offered him his armor either. In fact, he would have said, yeah, you go out and, you go out and kill him. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Here, you don't but, even need to take a weapon with you. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And then these five through smooth stones, you know, that's, oh my gosh, over the centuries, you know, people have debated that, you know, why five stones? Why not just one stone? You know, why? And why specifically five? Why not just two or three stones? You know, and I think, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier, John, I, you know, that this idea that a Goliath is from Gath. And yep. then we see later in Second Samuel chapter 21 that Gath is kind of known for its giants. I and mean, there's other giants. I think it, it specifically even mentions four other giants in particular. So you wonder, maybe David was aware of that. Maybe these, these countrymen, these other town folk of Goliath, maybe they were there at the battle. Maybe David is, is, realizes, well, I'll take one stone for each one of these giants just to be safe. So I, you know, we don't, it's not revealed to us for sure, but I don't think it is a lack of trust in the Lord. I think that's the main point, you know, to take five stones rather than one. It, I don't think it's a lack of trust in the Lord in, on David's part, but I think there's something else going on here. But anyway, I don't well, know just, if you have anything yeah, to add to so, that. So real, real quick on that. Yeah, I've, and I think, like you said, that's kind of a tradition that's arisen that he had four brothers. And so he's, uh, but, you know, I think the other point here is simply that to have faith doesn't mean you're cocky, yeah. right? Yeah. No. To have faith means we, we do everything we should do to be prepared and to be ready. You know, we trust the Lord will take care of us. That's the key thing here, obviously, you know, that the Lord, well, that the living God will deliver me. But you don't get cocky about it. No, you still do whatever you need to do on an ordinary day to take care of whatever it is, the problem you need to take care of. And if you're going out to battle, you're going to take as many smooth stones as you can take with you you know, that'll fit in the pouch. You just need to be prepared. That's not a lack of faith. That's just yeah. using the means God has provided. See, that's the yeah. thing. God gives us means and we should use the means he provides. We don't just sit back and say, oh, well, the Lord will take care of everything. No, we use the things he's given us, which for a shepherd is his smooth stones and his sling. Yeah. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, when I drive a car, I wear a seatbelt. You know, it's not yeah. a lack of trust in God. It's just he's giving me a seatbelt, you know, protect yeah. me. I'm going to wear it. <laughs> you know, that's a good uh, analogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, we, we got to keep going. Let's try to finish this up, John. So verses 41 through, well, why don't we 44? And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth. Again, that emphasis on his age. Yeah. Ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. <laughs> so this is the Philistine. He just it just, you know, he's disgusted by David, curses him by his gods, right? So that that's the Philistine. Now in the verses that follow, this is what David says in response, verses forty-five through forty-seven. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air 
and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, think about that. You're a teenager. You just have a sword and five smooth stones. You're coming against this word that everyone else is too scared to face and to have you know, the statement of faith, you know, and again, you know, in all these words, David is not trusting in himself. He's not saying, I'm the little guy, you're the big guy, but guess what? I'm going to beat you. No, it, the whole thing is about the work of the Lord. The battle is the Lord's, that last verse. He will give you into our hand. And I think the other interesting thing is, you know, in verse 46 at the end there, David says that all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. So it's oh. almost like an evangelistic... <laughs> battle here you know this defeat you know part of the purpose of it is that not only the israelites would know but the philistines would even know that the lord is god that there's no doubt about that i think that's interesting too so that everyone it would be clear to the world yeah yeah and so not even just the philistines but you and me too like well, yeah so you understood the greater impact of this story and that it would be a yeah. story that would be repeated throughout history yeah yeah so you know us thousands of three thousand years later reading this and it shows us too that you know, there is a Lord, the, the, a God in Israel. And, uh, you know, and the, on the last day of Christ's return, all the earth will know that for sure, yeah. without a shadow yeah. of a doubt that the Lord is God. Well, let's finish this up, John, verses 48 through 49. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to me, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And I think yeah. that'd be a good place to stop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so one stone is all it takes, sinks into his forehead. Goliath is defeated. And then David cuts his head off even with his own sword. Again, to kind of wrap this up, John, this is not a, just a David and Goliath story, a story of the little guy beating the big guy. This is a story of the Lord God prevailing, right? The victory through the Lord. And it's not about David, how good of a fighter he was or how adept he was with a sling. No, I mean, it's only by God's grace that this young teenager shepherd kills this hardened warrior, Goliath. The battle is the Lord's. And as we wrap that up, you know, for us, you know, I think the deeper meaning then too, we want to talk about at the end here is David's greater son that's going to come, right? Jesus oh, yeah. Christ. And Jesus does battle too. He does battle against a greater enemy than Goliath. He does battle against sin and against Satan. And he does it not in a valley there, but on, on the Mount Calvary there at the cross. And, you know, Jesus, he doesn't even have a slingshot, right? He, <laughs> he's got a wooden cross that he's carrying. That's it, that he's going to die on. And if you're placing bets, um, the money probably isn't going to be on the guy from Nazareth who's beaten and whipped and about to be nailed to a cross. And yet... The one who looks like he's defeated and destroyed, Jesus Christ, that's exactly how he wins, is through the cross of Calvary, through his death, and certainly through his resurrection from the dead, he defeats sin and death and the devil and does it all for us. And this has been Wrestling, Wrestling with, with the Basics. basics.